Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. This conversation with Samantha Giava is just, for me, a thrill. And I hope it will be engaging for you to listen, because here's a young woman who was very successful in our university as a student and working in our university bookstore back when I knew her over 10 years ago. And today she is director of sales for a software company that was founded in Germany, expanded to Chile. And today she is director of sales for the United States for this particular software. And she's moved back to the United States. Well, I'm, I'm giving away the whole story here. But to me, it is so satisfying to see how someone who is sees her practice as something that she can expand, she can relocate, she can grow. And as that's happening, she of course is growing within it. And that's our whole thought of practice that it's very individualized, very personal, and very fulfilling when you have addressed a number of issues and overcome them problems you've solved and you just keep on going and growing and that folks is samantha Giaba. that's my main accent popping out <laughs> she's delightful you'll see why Folks, I, <laughs> Sam, Samantha Giava, and I cannot believe how many years have passed since she was my student, because you can't see her, but I can, and she looks, <laughs> he looks exactly the same. Sam, I don't think I looked exactly the same as you can possibly remember. Maybe a, a few silver threads. You look pretty similar, Doc. <laughs> it doesn't change that much. <laughs> Almost like I used to. That's a good sign. But uh, there's so many students that I've taught, but some people really come back to my mind from time to time, particularly as I spot them on LinkedIn. And one of the things that I remembered about Samantha, Sam, as we called her back then, was that she worked for our Barnes and Noble bookstore on campus. And the manager of that bookstore was a friend. And he said, are you teaching Sam? And I said, yeah, she's in my class. He couldn't say enough good things about her. So, so, I saw it in your class, but I also saw others reflected on your, uh, your eagerness to continually learn. In fact, I think you were probably noticed by Barnes and Noble as a potential managerial leader. Uh, so here's where we'll begin our conversation. You didn't take the managerial leadership job for Barnes and Noble bookstore. So <laughs> then you graduated. So yeah. what did you do next, Sam? Yeah, so after I graduated, um, tried a couple of jobs out before I really found out like where where I wanted to be and where I fit in really well. So Barnes and Noble actually. So I did like the management leadership program while I was at Central. I graduated from Central, and then I actually did take a assistant manager position at the bookstore at Trinity College. So I, yeah. I went through the management. I remember that. I remember yeah. That. 
I worked there for about two years. So I got to, um, I was the assistant manager of the store, got to design all of the, you know, Trinity college clothing and stuff like that while I was there for two years. So it was a pretty, pretty cool job to have. And then from there, I was ready to like expand a little bit more and really go into sales and start to kind of like manage my own stuff as opposed to working in a store where I was, you know, working under somebody. So Hmm. I got a job at, at Ronstadt. So that's where I started doing, um, it was like staffing. So sales and trying to get, um, manufacturing companies to use our services for like temporary staffers and things like that. And that's where I really started to feel like, you know, I was really able to like take control of my day and my work. Like it was just me, you know, having my own targets and having to reach out to these companies and, you know, try to get these guys to start working for them. So it was pretty cool experience. I was there for like a year and a half or so after I left the bookstore. And then from there, I got an opportunity with Permis de Lisa. So that's where I went even further into the HR and, and recruiting stuff. So I worked as a corporate recruiter for three years with them. I got to, I got to jump into this because your life, your life is speeding by my (laughs) eyes and I think it's great, but I want to go back to Ronstadt for a minute. I think I had a guest in cast class and it wasn't you, maybe it was you who was doing a similar job for Ronstadt was doing staffing Mm -hmm. and, and staffing manufacturing. That wasn't you, was it? Or was it? No, but you know what? There was, I don't know. I can't remember her last name now, but Alex, it was another girl, Alex, who's in the same class as me. We worked together on a couple of pro- projects and I, she, um, helped me get the job at Ronstadt. So that's we had who, connected like a couple years after graduation. And that's, that's how I got started with that. And, and I want to underscore for the listeners, um, something that's already been made clear, which is that you have a clarity of, of self-identity. You want to be doing what you do and obviously be accountable and responsible for it, but have as much control over your uh, outcomes as, as possible. And when you were doing the staffing, I believe you actually, you know, they kept score. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like you had your targets and you know, that you needed to hit every month and you know, it's rewarding to be able to, to hit those and to see how well that like you as an individual are doing. There you go. But then was Permis de Lisa one of the companies you were doing staffing for when you were at Ronstadt? No, I tried. I tried very hard and I can never get in with them. They had another staffing company that they were using. But then when I saw the job opening with them, I thought like, hey, this is a not really a larger company, but let's say like more like everybody was kind of working out of one large office as opposed to like spread out little offices. So I'm like, you know, I'm still young. Let me try this. Let me see how this, you know, how this kind of works out for me. So then I got to be part of Permis de Lisa, which is an awesome, like large multinational, uh, you know, construction company, got a ton of awesome experiences with them, got to go on top of some of the biggest buildings in New York city while they were still, you know, being built, Um, got to go overseas to their corporate offices in Italy and, you know, just got a ton of, great memories and and colleagues from from that job and and you know got the experience of as opposed to now going externally and trying to like get all of these companies to work with our staffing firm now i was at permis de lisa trying to sell candidates who are coming in applying for jobs at permis de lisa to the management there 
So always, always a bit of selling there from uh, here. <laughs> yes. Here, here's our Central Connecticut State uh, shirt and hat, or here's our Trinity mug. Uh, you know, seeing the reward of getting some of those off the shelves and off the hooks, right up to the point you're at this company. Now I will interject here that probably some of those tall buildings in New York that you went to see. Uh, the cladding, the window system cladding was done by project manager, Brian Hennigan. Does yes, that ring a bell? Likely. Most likely. <laughs> I remember Brian very well, yes. Yeah, he, he was my student. So obviously you can see why you liked him. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, an, an incredibly gifted, natural leader who worked with some tough folks, those iron workers in New York. Oh, yeah you know, he, he learned how to work with them. They respected him. They're up there putting those window systems, sometimes 80, 90, hundred stories up. He asked me in the last time I recorded a podcast with him, if I would like to come down and go up and take a look. And I said, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I get, I get dizzy standing on my tiptoes, oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, so, but that was, uh, you know, that company went through a couple of ownerships, uh, perhaps not while you were there, still a leading, uh, manufacturer, manufacturer and installer of these kind of, uh, highly, uh, customized window systems. And, yep. and right now he's probably working on still another, another building down there, but I can't imagine why you'd want to leave. You know. Why I would want to leave. Well, you know, the opportunities just kept coming. So, Aha. Aha. <laughs> you know, I was there for a couple of years and honestly, it was great. I, I loved the team that I was working with there in the HR department. And honestly, like everybody at the company and like the Windsor office and even the other locations where I worked were just like great people to work with. Mm -hmm. But I really wanted to try to you know, I, I feel, I felt like I had one more stop to do before I could really like, feel like, yes, like this is where I'm supposed to be. Ah. So <clears throat> that's when I started looking um, for other positions that were more focused towards sales. So like recruiting, like always has that sales aspect to it, but I really mm. wanted to get into like more of like a full sales role. Mm. So that's when I came up with, um, I found the job at Advendio. And Advendio was based in Chile. It wasn't based in the U.S. So I said, like, hey, this could be very cool. Like, let's just try it. So I did a couple Skype interviews with um, this woman named Livia, who ended up becoming a great friend of mine. She did some interviews with me. And a couple months later, I was on a plane to Chile. <laughs> so started up office there from one person, it was Livia who was working there in Chile. They had their small office in Hamburg, which is where like the management and development team was based out of because it's like a software that we sell. So, you know, from starting in Chile in 2016 with two of us, I left Chile this past February. I was there for five years. Wow. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, I left with a, now I have a husband and two kids. <laughs> so well, yeah. we'll get to, we'll get to that. Yeah. But well, we'll, well, I don't hear your Spanish accent. You must have had to learn <laughs> a whole new language. didn't Yeah, you? oh, yeah, yeah, we I had to learn Spanish. So that was a whole nother challenge. and sell and sell in Spanish as well as, you know, have an influence on the company, a young company, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, it was a young company. I mean, still it still is. It's been around. We've had the product now for I think about 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. And now I've been a part of it for five. So it's been really cool. And yeah, like I said, this past February, I was working as an account manager, but 
just came back to So now I'm back in Connecticut um, now as the head of sales for the U.S. So, wow! Wow! Yeah. Now, uh, oh, my head is spinning here, Sam. Because this, but you were you were the same way when you were my student. I I couldn't quite catch up. Oh, hey, great job, Barnes and Noble's leadership. You're gonna be Trinity. Hey, great. You know how long you're gonna be? Boom, you're gone. Which is good because one thing I again I want to underscore for the listeners is that you said very succinctly, I still wanted to find where I could settle in and know that this is what I'm all about, which is a characteristic of choosing a practice, a field of practice initially, and then within it, you know, sales being a very prominent sense of yours. Now, and, and so this um, offer came through. How did you, how did they find you? How did you find them? I was just looking online for like interesting international sales jobs because I really love the culture at Permastalisa, like being able to like work with, um, you know, the Italian group and the German group. So I really wanted to stay with like a multi multinational company. So it just kind of like fell into my lap really when I was like just searching online. And when I saw it was in Chile, I'm like, that sounds very cool. Like could learn Spanish, could live by the beach. Like <laughs> there was a lot of added benefits there. Were you single at the time that you moved down to Chile? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were fan- footloose and fancy free. Yeah. Why good. not? Uh, David Ayandolo, who was our uh, director of our instructional design center at Central, is Chilean. And mm-hmm. uh, he left around 2016 went uh, central and worked on his MBA and then started a company called Arsum Technologies based here in Connecticut, which does uh, artificial, uh, augmented reality uh, applications. Yeah. But I learned so much when I, as his friend before he left and since he's left about his passion for Chile and uh, the realities of course, but the, not just because it was his native land, but he, he spoke, so eloquently about the character of the people, the, uh, you know, even though there was always something going on politically and there's always a, a lot of people who didn't have much to live on, uh, he always loved the sense of community that he had there. Now, I'm not asking you on camera to tell us that David's wrong, but what was your feeling culturally when you arrived there about being part of this, you know, very changing country? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I loved it. Like when I got there, it was kind of nice because I had, so I had Livia and there were a couple, two other girls who kind of like were helping out part-time with Advendio who spoke English. They were also from other countries. So it was like nice. I came into like a little mini like expat community, but you know, outside of that, it was, it was chilly. And honestly, like I, from the very beginning, I loved it. I loved, you know, my friends, my neighbors, who I met, you know, the other colleagues that we ended up having. It's just, it's hard to explain. It was just like a different, it's a different mindset. I feel like, you know, here a lot of times, like we feel so kind of like rushed and we're always trying to move on from one thing to another. And there they really kind of like, just like step back and just like enjoy themselves sometimes a little bit more than we do here. So (laughs) that I got used to very quickly. I really liked that. Well, why not? My Lord. Yeah, we, we, it, Connecticut isn't famous for people lying back and enjoying themselves. <laughs> Definitely not. The, the pandemic slowed us down somewhat. And I think we hopefully those of us have made it through so far 
more appreciative of what it is to have some pet personal time, some family time, time with a pet, <laughs> all the things that we were rushing past when you were living here in Connecticut. And I still do now tell us about the company itself and the product that you're developing here in the United States. Yeah, sure. So like the Advendio, so the company where what we do is we offer a product that's based on the Salesforce platform, but it's been configured and developed to specifically cater to the media industry. So we work with publishers, whether they're online publishers or print publishers or you know podcasters and, and anybody who sells advertising. So these are the clients that we work with globally. So like the product started in, in Germany, then moved into the US and now we're even in um, like Asia Pacific as well. So it's really just being able to manage all of those like advertising slots that you're selling, whether it's like for print or like I said, TV or podcasts or, you know, online. So if I were a customer, let's say I'm, uh, well, my library, which is my publisher now, uh, what would your software offer me? So I'm more clear on it. Yeah, sure. So the way that it works is like, let's just say, like take a, you know, Spotify, just as an, as an example, if Spotify was a client of ours, you, you listen to Spotify and then you get some ads, you know, you listen to some ads after you finish your podcast or maybe in the, in the middle of it. And then you go on your way, but from Spotify side, there's a lot of work that goes behind, you know, those advertisements that they're, that they're putting on to those podcasts, whether they're at the beginning or the end or whatever it is. So what the Advendio product does is it manages Spotify's advertisers. So like the products that they're purchasing, what sort of discounts they're getting, what sort of contracts they have, invoices that get sent out. So that's all done via the Advendio platform. Wow. A, a big time and money saving for, uh, uh, for Spotify or any of these other um, entities like that. Uh, is it hard to explain as you're selling it, uh, particularly since you're selling it here in the States, but it also has these the global antecedents, uh, do people get it right away? And I, I know you could sell me anything because you're, you're such a clear spoken person and you don't mince words, you put it right out there. But I'm just curious what it's like, the selling experience. Let's say you're asking, you're, you're pursuing a new customer. Yeah, so I would say as far as like the product goes, they get it. They either have something like it or they've configured like some fancy Excel sheets to kind of do what they need to do. So they get it. Like they know that they need to manage their, their advertisers, their media products, their pricing, all of that. Then where, you know, where it starts to get difficult is like, Hey, they have a similar product already. How is it Vendio maybe have the competitive advantage over what they're using now, sure. or, you know, they're used to using their fancy Excel sheets and they're free. So, you know, how do we figure out, you know, the return on investment makes sense for them to, to go towards like a product approach as opposed to like something that they've come up with or that they've, you know, developed on Excel 10 years ago. You show, do you do an analysis to show them um, at least as much as you can with the information? Yeah, we try to. I mean, we, we, you know, for our customers, like who are, you know, Advendio, Advendio fans and who have been used Advendio for a while, we try to like take their experiences and kind of like get back the data so we can kind of understand like, hey, look, you know, this, this sales team is 50% more effective now that they're using a solution like Advendio. So wow. you know, we try to collect all of that data to really put, you know, research behind what we're, what we're trying to sell. 
Is there anyone doing something very close to what you're selling? There's a couple. Um, there's always like a, the you know a few uh, you know similar competitors that we always come across when we're talking to clients. But I would say there's not that many that are directly working on the Salesforce platform. And, you know, the customers that we work with really like that because they're already using Salesforce or maybe they use Salesforce for, you know, other areas of their business. So now they can just like add Advendio into like this ecosystem that they've already built as opposed to it having to be like another kind of separate product. So it makes a lot of sense. And sal Salesforce yeah. is not likely to toss you guys out and plug someone else in unless you're, uh, not producing for ultimately to make Salesforce more attractive in terms of ongoing subscription. Yep, exactly. And that, I mean, that's the benefit for Salesforce as well as like, you know, obviously the more things that you keep within Salesforce, the, the happier the customer is going to be and the less likely it is that they'll, you know, move away from Salesforce in general. I have another question about the company, but this has been great, but I want to get back to what you threw out there so quickly to me about uh, I think you said you married with seven kids or eight kids. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember the exact <laughs> Not number. Not seven, but <laughs> <laughs> but about the, this company. Uh, there, in, initially, you were drawn to Chile. Yet the I assume was it the inventors of this software who were in Germany. Yep. How did? <laughs> as far as I can tell, my geography is a little off at my age, but I think Chile is probably about 5,000 miles away from Germany. Yeah, I think that's about right. About yeah. as far down in South America as you can get away from Germany. Yeah. <laughs> so how, did yeah. That, how did that connection get made? Yeah. So, so Adventure started in Germany and that's where they, you know, the, the creators of the product are, the CEO, as well as like all of our development team and like technical resources. But once they really wanted to expand out of Europe and then move into more of uh, like US and Latin America, they, they wanted to open an office down there. And the CEO knew um, Lydia, who was the manager at the time, and she was living in Chile. She was a German, you know, she's originally from Germany, but she was living in Chile. And our CEO was like, hey, I got an opportunity for you. What do you think? So, you know, she, she really grew the office from, you know, herself and then added me. And then from there, I mean, now there's, I think 30 people working in Chile. So. Wow. And are you, were you at that time as you were expanding, expanding across South America or largely did you develop the opportunities in Chile? Yeah. So my role was to really expand in, in the U S so oh, even is, while you were there, yeah, even were... while I was there, my focus was still really the U.S. So okay. you know, we wanted to have the office in one central location because the idea was, of course, now with COVID, everything's you know kind of falling mm -hmm. apart. But the idea was to have everybody like working together in the office, yeah, co-location. You could yeah. work, learn uh, spontaneously, which is a really strong aspect of practice yep. to be able to have face to face and and capture the moment. But you couldn't quite do that now. Now, again, geography, Chile, anywhere in the United States above the Midwest, that's still a long reach. How did you work from there and establish any kind of connections and relationships up here, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the nice things, like being that Advendio and Salesforce or cloud-based software, like I think that community is a little bit more um, like comfortable with and just used to like 
online sales. So like, you know, we would always do these like Zoom calls or, or phone calls or whatever. And then, you know, whenever we had to do big presentations, I would just take a 10 hour flight and go to the US. Uh-huh. So, Did you follow the, the, like the, the footprint of uh, Salesforce in the US to get your leads? Uh, sometimes, yeah, sometimes. Cause we would look at, you know, like our ideal customer would be a media customer who's already using Salesforce. So we would mm-hmm. definitely try to use that as like a footprint to like, hey, who, who could be our ideal customer? So if it's somebody who's using, you know, a different CRM platform, it's always a little harder to get into because there's not sure. that like- They don't see the advantage. So yeah. right off the top, yeah. Yep, yep, exactly. And it's still focused here in the US on media businesses then? Yes, yep. All what media. are some of the things that, in the five or so years that you've been uh, plowing new fields, if you will, in the media uh, sector, what are you learning about media itself? How, how is it changing? Well, the first thing I learned when I got there was that media is much more complicated than anybody can ever imagine. I mean, there's so much that goes into, you know, selling a digital ad and, you know, it's based on how many people have viewed it or how many people have clicked on it. And now they brought in a couple of years ago, like this programmatic aspect. So it's like kind of making it even more of an automated process. And now they've got these like self-service pieces where people just buy their own advertising on their own without salespeople. And there's just a ton of little details that make such a big difference in you know, a smooth process when trying to sell media, as opposed to it being all kind of disjointed and broken up. And media itself, particularly through pandemic and beyond, you know, for example, when I talked to Peter Vale initially about doing podcasting, I did a Google search. I think it said there were about 800,000 podcasts back in 2019. There's probably 8 million of them now and growing. And so that aspect of the podcast world, I am self-financing. I may talk to you off camera about how getting a little <laughs> advertising, but my point is that podcasting has, has exploded, uh, uh, partly because we can originate. Now the, the more established media programs like NBC and other, they're developing podcasts with their, uh, uh, new, particularly the news people. But it, it, was, it was a real grassroots thing. Uh, but now it is you know, presenting more complexity, I think, to, well, say Spotify, for example. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they're delighted to have a lot of volunteered podcasts, but they're not going to be able to put advertising on as, unless they have certain quality to them. So that's an interesting learning field you're in right now. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. It's one of those industries that seems like it's ever-changing. And like, as soon as you start to feel like you get it, then something else happens and, you know, you have to learn something new. So definitely keeps things interesting. You like that? Yeah, no, I love it. Is there a kind of a role within your media customers where where like one person or at least a team kind of deals with all those moving parts all the time? So you have a sort of internal contact person when you're uh, managing your relationship? Yeah, I mean, usually, so if it's like a larger company, they'll probably have like a project manager, even like a business manager who manages all of that. And then for, you know, like medium or smaller size companies, it would be like the head of sales or the head of of ad operations who we would keep like the closest contact with. Okay, cool. That's great. Now (laughs) to the more important question about Samantha. Uh, 
while in Chile. You get, did you get married then? Yeah, I got married in 2017. Wonderful. Yeah. And still while in Chile, did you start your family? Yes. Yeah. So I got married in 2017 and then I had my first daughter, Sophia. She was born in 2019. And then second daughter, Lucy, was born the next year, 2020. So when we got back here in February, because my husband just got his green card, that's why we finally we could come back. Mm. Um, yeah, it was a nice, long process, but hey, we got there. Um, so yeah, when we got back here, Lucy was like three months old and Sophie was like two when we got back here a couple months ago. And where is here? Here, I'm in Farmington, Connecticut. Yay. Yeah. I'm so in back, New Hartford. That's where I started. I can start shouting out my window. You're just down the road from me. Nice. <laughs> and I just play golf every morning at the Westwoods uh, uh, Public uh, Golf Club oh, nice. uh, in uh, that part of Farmington. It's very near Tungsters Community College. Yep. Yep. Hey, mm -hmm. we're neighbors. I'm delighted yeah. that you're back and with two wonderful girls. And uh, how does it feel to be back? Feels great. I mean, when we got back at first, it was still like everything was still kind of closed-ish for COVID. I mean, like it was February, so it was freezing cold. And with the two little kids, I didn't really want to go out and about too much. But I mean, now like with the summer and outdoor activities or like everywhere, it's, it's nice. It's like, I loved my time in Chile and I loved the experience and the things that we did there, but it, it feels nice to be back here in kind of my old stomping grounds and doing things that I remember doing when I was little with the kids now. So it's, it's, it's great. Do you have family uh, up here in Connecticut? I do. Yeah, I have my my parents, uh, my two sisters live here, my grandma. So we've got a ton of family here. Oh, they must have been thrilled to have you come back. Yes. Yeah, my, mo my mom was very excited, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> what was your maiden name? No, my, my maiden name, is, I have, didn't change my name. So my name is That's Ava. what I thought. Yeah. You didn't change it. So you're still using yeah, it. Yeah, it's like a Chilean. They don't change it because... Uh, in Chile, everybody has two last names, their paternal last name and then their maternal last name. So if I had changed it, then our kids would have like two of the same last name. So it just was weird. <laughs> <laughs> so kept just kept it the way it was. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Now that you're here um, and you maintain, I'm sure, very regular contact with Chile yeah. and with Germany and you now you're having more opportunity to be physically present as we all get more and more vaccinated. Uh, what are you looking for as we're wrapping up on time here? What are you looking for ahead for you, Sam? Yeah, I mean, like professionally, like now that I'm mm -hmm. in this head of sales role, like my goal is to just really, you know, dive in and, and start to expand the U.S. market. So that just kind of goes back to like my initial kind of wish in the role that I wanted, where I'm just able to kind of like shape it and make it my own, which is what our CEO is allowing me to do, basically. Like he's like, OK, great, you're in the U.S., like let's do it. You know, let's get some, get some more customers, expand the, the market share that we've got here. And that's what I've been working on. So we're looking at a lot of uh, marketing activities and events that I can go to and customers to visit. So yeah, I mean, really just doing whatever I can here to, you know, just, just feel good about the expansion that I'm, that I'm bringing here to the U S for adventure. Oh, it's and they're keeping score in Germany and in Chile, I assume that. Oh yeah. <laughs> is that, do you like the fact that you're going to, you have targets. I mean, you've had them before, but this is a different kind of target. This is pretty complicated sell that you're doing. Yeah, yeah, no, 
I mean, to me, it's good. I mean, I like to have, I like a challenge, you know, I like to know like, how am I doing? I don't want to just think like, okay, well, I guess it's good enough. It's nice to always have something to, to strive towards. So for me, the target target's great. I love it. <laughs> so I hear you saying that you're, you got a, a new and very open-ended in terms of its prospect role. You're relocated where you have family close and your husband's got a green card. That makes it even better. Uh, I, I would say from the time you were my student until now, you've done damn well. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So I'm going to say, folks, this has been one of my big thrills. And I, you know, if you've been listening, that I've loved talking with former students. I must say, though, I've really found in a conversation, anyone who is done as much as Sam has in a, in a very short period of time since she graduated. And not because she said, well, I don't want to do this. I'll try this. I don't want to do this. I'll try that. It was opportunity that kept knocking. And in some of the most wonderful ways, just huge coincidental things from Chile to here. And I think folks, what makes uh, opportunity come up and rap on our door is energy and integrity a solid reputation for getting things done, but getting things done in ways that don't wear out your welcome or wear out the people you're working with. Is that you, Sam? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And maybe one other thing I would even add, if, if opportunity comes knocking at your door and it seems big and scary, just go for it. <laughs> you got to try. <laughs> it worked out a, well for me. A big green monster at your door. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's wonderful advice. As back from when you were a recruiter on, you were giving people a knock on doors and if they weren't ready from a standpoint of real courage, then they missed they missed it. And uh and that would be too bad. In fact, in closing, I have to mention, um, speaking of Peter Vale, which I want to do every time I have a podcast. He, in one of the things that uh, he said, I'm not sure in, if he wrote it down in the manuscript I'm working, but I, he clearly said that if he had the, his druthers and he could name what managers actually do, that's of greatest value, he called it encouragement. And he spelled it E-N hyphen encouragement. He felt if, if you're not, and you are now managing, I saw a person who can encourage people to take steps into the unknown, which is everywhere, anywhere, then other things you do as a manager, you know, keeping track of numbers and all the usual stuff, is not really what it's going to take going forward in the world. Peter was absolutely right. And you are an encouraging manager. Well, thank you. Something I will always strive to be. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcasts where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcasts page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to 
actionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.